0: I speak to you in the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. During a visit to my home in Trinidad several years ago, my mother and I were in the middle of a discussion about our family. I can't recall what it was about, but I do remember saying to her that my brother Roger was her favorite my sister, my sister Anne was my Aunt Roma's favorite, and my sister Natalie was my stepmother's favorite, but at least I was my father's favorite. <laughs> to which she promptly responded, no you're not. <laughs> she added that my brother Michael was my father's favorite. So I immediately picked up the phone, called my father and asked, So what's this I hear about Michael being your favorite child? I knew it was true when all he did was chuckle. The desire to be the favorite one assumes that one is comparing oneself to others, presumably on a scale of, let's say, good, better, best. It's a trap that's easy to get caught in when we fail to appreciate our uniqueness. In what has been called the fullest and most dramatic speech of his career, the Apostle Paul engages the question of God's uniqueness in today's reading from Acts. Upon his arrival in Athens, Paul walks through the city where he observes idol after idol after idol. So he argues with Jews, Epicureans, and Stoics alike, making his case for the God of Jesus Christ. Some call him a babbler and a proclaimer of foreign divinities. His arguments lead to today's encounter when he is brought before the Areopagus, the city council which renders judgment on public debates or criminal charges, and the site where the council meets, a prominent rock outcropping to the west of the Acropolis. It may be helpful to note that according to the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, the Acropolis of Athens and its monuments, form the greatest architectural and artistic complex bequeathed by Greek antiquity to the world. On this hill were born democracy, philosophy, theater, freedom of expression, and speech which provide to this day the intellectual and spiritual foundation for the contemporary world and its values, end of quote. All of that is to say that Paul is about to speak to a group of intellectually sophisticated folk. Some would even say the creme de la creme, somewhat like preaching to a group of seminary professors. (laughs) But the apostle is neither intimidated nor timid Standing in front of the area why am I having trouble saying that word this morning, he began his sermon by saying, in effect, I have something to share with you that is older than the rock on which we stand. In a series of moves that public speakers could learn a lot from, Paul addresses his audience first by connecting with them, ensuring that they are disposed to listen to him. Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are. In every way. In fact, the Athenians are so religiously minded that not only is their city filled with idols, they've also included an altar to an unknown God, God, ensuring in a sense that they've covered all bases. Secondly, even though Paul was deeply distressed when he saw all of the idols, when he stands in front of the city council, he neither reveals his distress, nor does he use the term idols. Instead, he refers to them as objects of worship. So whether or not we think that Paul is being politically correct, he demonstrates a level of self-discipline that many missionaries would be wise to emulate. He neither disrespects the natives, nor discounts their desire to worship. Instead, Paul assesses their situation and concludes that, in spite of their exemplary achievements, they are searching. Searching for something or someone who could offer them something new or different or better. As the narrator reports in the verse immediately preceding their current encounter with Paul, now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Maybe they are not unlike persons in our society who describe themselves as nons, no religious affiliation, nones, no religious belief, or shuns, entirely secular, who are still nevertheless searching. Longing for something new or different or better to fill the empty spaces in their lives. It's what the Black Fridays and Cyber Mondays count on. Our very human desire for something new, different, better. So as one entrusted with sharing in God's mission, Paul takes the opportunity that their longing and their curiosity presents to to introduce the Athenians to the unknown God. This God, says Paul, is not like any of the ones you know. This God is the one who made the world and everything in it, who gives to all mortals life and breath, who from one ancestor made all the nations of the whole earth, This God is the one who does not live in shrines made by human hands, who is not served by human hands as if God needed anything. This God is simply not one God among many gods. No, this God is God and there is no other. And yet, Paul says, this transcendent God is also the God who is not far from each one of us. As someone who spent the first 11 days of her earthly life in a hospital with a mother who almost died in childbirth, who wasted precious moments of her life searching for something new, something different, something better who experienced God's redeeming, sustaining, and transforming work in her life, I have some stories to tell about this God. And I'm sure that you too have your own stories to tell, to tell about how this God has been at work and still is at work in your own lives. You and I won't be here if there wasn't something about this God. Something that led each one of us to follow God along an uncertain path into an unknown future. Something that convinced each of us that this is the God to whom we will dedicate our one precious life. That's what King Kamehameha IV and Queen Emma of Hawaii did. They could have been like so many rulers before and after them, rulers who lord their power over the people they are called to serve. But instead, they chose to dedicate their lives to furthering the mission of the one and only God. In spite of the devastating death of their four-year-old son, they continued to serve their people. And when the king died less than two years later, the Queen found the strength to continue their ministry of establishing institutions that continue to serve Hawaii today. The Cathedral of St. Andrew, the Queen's Medical Center, and the St. Andrew's Priory School for Girls. What did Queen Emma know about God that kept her going in the midst of her own suffering? What do you know about God that our suffering world needs to hear? A few months ago, a classmate and friend of mine was told that there were no other treatment options for the cancer that racked her body. She spent weeks before her death in hospice care at her daughter's home. During that time, we talked several times on the phone late at night when she could not sleep. I can assure you that as as important as they were during our seminary education, we did not spend any of those precious moments debating which one was correct. Unite us to your son in his sacrifice or being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Instead, we talked about God and family and friends and life and sin and fear and death and faith and resurrection. She was not an A student in seminary. She never served in a large parish And she was not showered with accolades for her service to the church. But she had lived the life that she felt called by God to live. And it was only after her death that I learned that she was one of two people who were responsible for starting a major food bank on the East Coast. As God's offspring made in the image of God, each of us is designed to be a unique expression of the art and imagination of our one and only God. But when we live and work and study and play in an environment in which we are continually being evaluated, It's tempting to protect our uniqueness by defining ourselves over and against others, or by staying under the radar, afraid to take risks, to make mistakes, and to let those simply be okay. It's tempting to forget that we are neither our successes nor our failures, and to remember that we are God's beloved children. It's tempting to base our worth on comparison and competition. Forgetting what the Indian spiritual teacher Osho says so well, nobody is superior. Nobody is inferior. But nobody is equal. People are simply unique. Incomparable, you are you and I am I. And we are all called to grow into the unique expressions of God in the world. Like Paul, our lives are meant to point to the one who was raised from the dead. Like the Athenians, some will scuff, some will believe, and some will want to hear more. Like Paul in today's encounter, we don't always have to quote scripture or say the name of Jesus because our lives will be the primary text that others read. And I suspect that if you and I choose to take the time to listen closely to the one and only God we will indeed hear, as Henry Nouwen puts so beautifully, God's voice calling us from all eternity, my beloved child, my favorite, my joy.